0: Hi, before this episode with Pam Hopman, um, this was released in March 2021, I want to share some additional context as of November 2022. The links to Pam's LinkedIn page and her business website no longer work. It's been called to my attention that Pam is under investigation for allegedly recommending an investment that has been described as a quote-unquote Ponzi scheme in a news report and law firm websites. Uh, Pam is not alleged to be the mastermind of said scheme, but the allegations are that she made a bad recommendation to herself and others, that she and others have lost money uh, from this, a mistake, uh, it seems. So there's a link to a news story um, about people being upset with Pam. There's a, a link to the lawsuit that was filed against the creators of the Investment Vehicle, you can find all of that at markraben.com slash mistake46. Episode 46, Pam Hopman, CEO of The Hopman Group.
1: You know, when you talk about a mistake, nobody goes out to make a mistake. Although, sure. mistakes often teach us so much more than we ever thought they could.
0: I'm Mark Rabin. This For show notes and more, go to markgraben.com slash mistake46. Don't forget to enter our giveaway contests at markgraben.com slash contests. Thanks for listening. Our guest today is Pam Hopman. She is the founder of the Hopman Group, uh, and she is based in Tucson. So before I tell you a little bit more about Pam, first off, let me say thank you uh, for being here. How are you?
1: Thank you for having me. It's a privilege and an honor to be here, and I'm looking forward to uh, talking to you about my mistake.
0: Well, I know we'll have a story and a conversation about that and um, financial planning because uh, Pam has over 20 years of experience working as a financial advisor. Um, She has comprehensive knowledge of strategies for retirement income planning, wealth preservation, and estate planning. She holds a designation of Chartered Retirement Planning Counselor, from the College of Financial Planning. Um, she has a podcast where she talks about financial issues called Empower You. And she recently launched, I, I thought this was interesting, a financial mastermind group called The Money Thing. And it says it was formerly called Conversations Over Wine and Chocolate. So I guess the first question is just, well, that other name sounded like a lot of fun. Uh, why, <laughs> why, cha- why change the name? <laughs>
1: Oh, I was given some advice that instead of saying it was conversations over wine and chocolate, which it really was. I mean, I used to have a group get together in person and we would have uh, chocolate uh, as well as other things and wine and have a conversation. It's predominantly been been women involved and talk about women's financial issues and the lack of training and planning that most women Mm -hmm. have.
0: But I guess calling it the money thing, it's a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's and straightforward. Yeah, exactly. but it is pretty, it's like, you know, we got to deal with that money thing, kind of.
0: <laughs> and there still could be wine and chocolate involved, I guess.
1: Absolutely. No <laughs> no lack of wine and chocolate.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I like those things. So, um, Pam, you know, looking back um, at, at your work and your career, what would you say is your favorite mistake?
1: Well, Mark, first of all, you know, when you talk about a mistake, nobody goes out to make a mistake, although sure. mistakes often teach us so much more than we ever thought they could. I had a thriving financial services practice in Illinois, and I had office in Wisconsin as well. And I had been in the business for a number of years, and I found myself burning out a little bit. So I decided to take a position with a marketing organization that, you, that was an insurance marketing organization out of uh, Tampa, Florida. And the first year was great. I was able to go around the country and train people and um, work with them. And the second year became really a nightmare working Mm. with that company. Things changed. They brought on some people that I didn't get along with for professional reasons. And um, I found myself looking at leaving that company. And I did. And then I relocated to Tucson. And started up again, which I don't recommend Recommend that too often because it was really tough. I had to start up in 2010, which was the height of the recession.
0: Right, right. But
1: we did, and we did great. And, you know, the company, so so I really learned uh, a lot even with that mistake. I learned what I really truly wanted to do, which was run this practice. And some other things as well that I, I'll let you ask me some questions and tell you some other things that we learned.
0: Sure. Um, there, there's a lot I think we can sort of dig into different phases of that story. I guess, first off, I mean, I, I've lived I, I lived in Phoenix for four years. Moving there is probably not a mistake, especially weather-wise, even with the summer, right?
1: No, it's not a mistake. I even like the summer here.
0: Yeah. I found that The summer is easier to deal with than in Illinois or a Michigan winter, which I have experienced. Yes. well um, I think going back to the time when you were um, running that business and they had the practices in Illinois and Wisconsin, what, what do you think, was, was there anything particular that, that led to the, to the burnout?
1: I was just trying to do it all. I wasn't mm-hmm. scaling the business well at all. I was too much, my hands were in, in too many different pots and I was trying to split my time between the two offices. I didn't have anybody that could be in the other office full time. It didn't, it just, it just took too much out of me. And then I was like, well, you know, maybe I just don't want to do this. Maybe I just want to train people to do this. And so that's the reason I took the position that was offered to me.
0: Yeah, stepping away to be an employee is less of a maybe 24-7 mental load than owning a business. Oh yeah,
1: I had had some kind of idea that I would do it for about 10 years and then I could just go right off into the sunset and do whatever I wanted to. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, So then did you... I mean, it's not like there were there were different lessons learned along the way. So before coming back to talking about that position that you took, did you, you know, what, what have you done to apply the lessons from the first go around to the second go around here in Arizona? Do you try to guard against falling into that, um, what you'd done before of trying to do it all yourself?
1: Absolutely. I have scaled my business now. I have um, an assistant that's been with me almost 11 years. Um, we also have another person that works in the office and then I have two associates that I've trained. And so, and we'll probably bring on a third by the end of this year. So we've actually gone from being a solopreneur all the way into somewhat of an enterprise at this point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's what the podcast is all about is, you know, reflecting on learning from the lessons and, you know, you had an opportunity, a second go around to, um, to, to at least, uh, not, not fall in the same trap. I was about to say, do things better. I'm sure there were a lot of things that you were doing well that first time, but at least not getting yourself, um, on the, the burnout path again. Mm-hmm. And then looking at that time, the, um, the intermission, if you will, where you had the job, did, did you, do you think back at, at, you know, um, putting aside the first firm and taking that job as, as a mistake or was it a mistake maybe to not leave sooner when it became a nightmare, as you put it?
1: That's a good question. I don't really know. I think it was a mistake to take the job. I think if I had been, had the right training and the right coaching at the time, because I'm somebody who always has a coach, if I'd had the right coaching, I could have been coached through that. I mean, it was a thriving practice. I was, number one woman in this, in the industry of, in my particular group. So it wasn't like I wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't failing at all. It was just like, it just got to be, you know, what? I think I'm going to just do something different. And the reason it was a mistake, it was a mistake for a couple of different reasons. That was one. The other was that I got stiffed on the sale of the practice because the other person was involved with the same group and I became an employee that was taking care of that person. So I sort of got stiffed on the sale. I don't know. And then the company that I worked for um, started to change quite a bit. Yeah. And that was part of the mistake for them, but it was also part of the mistake that I learned from. Yeah. Because they stopped listening to the field. And when you the people, stop, that,
0: the people that were working out in the field.
1: Right. When you stop yeah. listening to the field, you be, you lose touch and eventually you, you can go out of business. This company's now out of business, by the way, the one I went yeah. to. I, I was the first person to ever voluntarily leave the company after two years, um, but they have now gone out of business. Yeah. Cause I just saw things happening that you were know, like, I'm like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> They're not going to stay. But that's also some lessons I took into my new, my new company. The one I started here in 2010, I took all that information about how to run a company, how to, how to manage a team. Um, and then I've had great coaching since then from another organization and um that was part of the reason i've been so successful here at tucson yeah
0: well that's great and and that dynamic you talk about of stopping listening to the the people who do the work or never listening to the people who do the work that's a problem in many industries I mean, i think of my career path when i was in manufacturing frontline employees and some of those settings Weren't respected, weren't listened to, and it was to the detriment of the company. Um, I've, I've spent a lot of time the last 15 years in healthcare as a a trainer and consultant and coach. Sad to see similar dynamic. You know, the education level is higher of of nurses and doctors and pharmacists. And there's that, that similar complaint of not being listened to. And, um, I think we, we need to help change that. Apologize for climbing. I, I get up on a soapbox about that sometimes.
1: Well, you know, there's something to be said for bottom up management as opposed to top down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um, I want to delve a little bit in, into, you know, you say now you always have a coach. When did, did you and when you started this practice in Tucson, is that when you decided to to start having a formal coach so that you could work through issues that, um, you know, that, that, that you weren't able to work through the first time? With well, different the, issues.
1: Well, I've always yes, I was always in an organization or with a coach from the from the beginning. Um, oh, okay. I was doing that in Illinois as well, where I had my first practice. But I, the last, I'm now starting my sixth year with the same coaching group, and they really are the ones that have taken me from solopreneur to being the size company that I am now, with more growth to come. And so, yeah, you got to find the right find the right organization. Is and is
0: that an organization that's focused specifically on financial planners and organizations like yours?
1: No, nope. This is an, or, this is an organization. Can I say the name? I don't want to.
0: It's up break. to you. Sure.
1: Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I work with Allison Maslin's pinnacle global network and the pinnacle global network is all kinds of businesses, all industries. And when we, we have a, we have a mastermind and we have a mentor and the mastermind is all different industries. You're not with people in your same industry for the most part. And I have to tell you, it's very refreshing to get opinions that aren't coming from everybody doing the same thing. So there's a little bit of need for creativity on my part. And that can't, that develops in this group where it wasn't going to develop in the financial, a group that's all financial serviced.
0: Yeah. That's a really interesting point. I have a friend of mine, who owns a dental practice in Jacksonville, Florida. And he got tired of, you know, as uh, I've interviewed him before in a different podcast and talked to him about this, if he was going to dental conferences, he was hearing many variations of basically the same ideas over and over again. And he was looking for, you know, really radically better performance and not just to copy what some other practice did. So he actually looked to Toyota as a model and an influence in some of the practices that come out of that. And the thing he had to do was figure out how to apply these lessons. He wasn't reading a book that was telling him exactly what to do as the owner of a dental practice. Um, it, it required creativity and he engaged his staff to figure it out together. How do we apply these management ideas from a different industry in, into a dental practice? And, and, and he's been really wildly successful um, since doing that.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the reasons we've in, we've included what we could call financial coaching inside of our business. Uh, one of my associates coaches women in their finances. Um, I wrote a book called Wealth Amplified, which is all about getting women to a level where they can start to save more and be more comfortable with their finances. I mean, the, the job that I had for those two years, it taught me a lot about um, using personality assessments to, to not just pick people for the job, but to actually work with people within the job based on the way they process information. So I was able to create something called the money profile, which is basically a behavior analysis for financial behavior. And so I've been able to do that. And those things I never would have learned if I hadn't made that mistake.
0: <laughs> so there's another benefit that came from that, that detour, if you will. Yes. Yeah so to um, Pam what in, in your mind what distinguishes financial coaching from financial planning
1: well there is there is a somewhat of a distinction financial planners for the most part are working with your wealth they want you to have something before you go to plan and they want to make sure that you're going to continue to grow that and they want to they want to give you Um, insight into how much you need to add to it and where you're going to use it going forward. And depending on what your goals and dreams are around finances, they want to be able to make sure that you you can achieve that and show you different pathways to get there. I do that. But I also sometimes, not as many, but I'll work with, with men or women who want to get to the point where, you know, I don't think I have anything. I'm not ready yet for a financial planner. Well, then you could be ready for a financial coach, which will, that coach will help you work with your income and your expenses and show you where you might be making a couple of mistakes that if you change a little bit of your behavior around your finances or even your decision-making that you could achieve whatever financial dreams and goals you have. So we we like to work with a vision. You know, what is your retirement vision? What is your future financial vision? And we work backwards from there.
0: Yeah. So before, so, yeah, before somebody can have their wealth managed, they need to accumulate some wealth. And that sounds like maybe that's where financial coaching comes in. And um, I mean, it sounds like that's a very helpful service to provide where, I mean, it's probably easier to work with people who already have wealth.
1: Oh, sometimes, yes, very much so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It's much more lucrative to work with people that have wealth well, too, I'll be honest. But, right. I, but I have a, I mean, my my makeup is I want to make sure that people get So we, our company has no minimums to work with us. Hmm. We do that on purpose because anybody who's willing to take our advice, who wants to come in and learn how to do better, we want to be able to help them do it.
0: Well, that's great, and yeah, um, yeah, easier, more lucrative. Yeah, yeah, maybe, (laughs) but it's good that you're willing to work with with others and um, help them, you know, move up. Um, in that through their career, uh, up, up to, till retirement. So that's great.
1: Yes, um, some of our most recent clients are in their twenties and I'm really mm-hmm. thrilled because they're getting such an early start on what yes. they do.
0: That, that's great. That's great. So, um, you mentioned earlier financial planning mistakes and I thought, well, we had you here as an opportunity to pick your brain as an expert about this. One of the mistakes would be starting too late. You or know, not somebody's right. not, or not starting.
1: Yeah. And, and that's back again, that point I made. Um, I, I've i been in organizations where people come up to me often and they say, I don't have enough to work with you or I don't have enough to plan. And the fact is, if you don't start planning, you'll never have enough. So it's that's like true. the chicken or the egg. Well, it's definitely the planning should be part of that conversation. And, you know, people think that they have to. The prevailing idea is get out of debt and then save. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I don't work that way. I think you Mm. should get out of debt. I think you should save, but I think you should have fun in life too. Mm. So I make sure that whoever I work with isn't just stuck with getting out of debt and saving, but actually has a life worth living.
0: Mm. Interesting. So how how do you talk someone through kind of finding that balance?
1: Um, Well, that's part of the vision and that's part of the lifestyle, um, we have, you know, we we're, we're sort of clever in that we change the words of like a budget is called a spending plan because that's really what a budget is. Mm-hmm. You can get behind a spending plan. They may see hear the word budget and just go, no, I can't do a budget. You know, it's too hard. But I can write down what I spend yeah. and what I spend it on. So it's a spending plan. And so we we go through some clever things like that. We talk about the balance between saving and spending and getting out of debt and then also rewarding yourself when you reach certain milestones and having some Mm -hmm. fun in the meantime. I think that some of the main people that talk about finance, forget about that part. They forget about how important it is for people to enjoy their lives and not, not just like put their nose to the grindstone and just go in that direction. Yeah. It It might take you a little longer to reach your financial goal, but that's your choice. I mean, mm-hmm. you can cut out all the fun stuff, but most people can't do that for a long period of time and then they, they cannot follow through on their financial plan.
0: Yeah. It seems like there are parallels there to, let's say weight loss. You could write down everything that you eat and you could track the details about that. And and somebody could really like, you know, deprive themselves of like, you know, so far this year, like I'm really trying to avoid sugar, right? Um, and you know, that's a choice and I'm doing it for reasons and I don't feel too deprived, but I could see where if somebody really felt deprived, that it would be, as you put it hard to sustain, whether it's budgeting or eating differently, eating better.
1: You can make, you can make small changes mm-hmm. quicker and more lasting than big changes. Yes. start so yes. to make small changes. They add up over time. So, I started a plan this year where to get into better health, I would do one push up and one squat and then add one every day. Mm-hmm. I'm up to 33. Yeah. So, I know by the end of the year, I'll be up to 300 something. But right now, every day, I commit to doing one more. And, um, you know, that's going to have me be healthier because you decide once and you commit twice. So I decided to do it and I commit for at least two days. Then at the Mm -hmm. end of the two days, I committed for another two days. And so that way it just becomes a habit.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Like I can't even not do it now. After this.
0: But that new habit is built two days at a time.
1: Two days at a time.
0: Well, there's there's a real powerful psychology behind you know the idea of baby steps and starting small. You know, in a different podcast series. Uh I've been able to twice interview a psychologist from UCLA named uh, Robert Moore, and he talks about the way our brains work and um, we, we get afraid of change. Even if change is arguably logically positive, you know, our, our reptile brain um, kicks in. And, you know, his lesson is the only way to work around that is to make the change small. So your story, Pam, reminds me exactly of his advice to um, to, to patients is uh, if they, you know, if he were to say, you need to start exercising 45 minutes a day, every day, like that seems overwhelming. People get scared and they shut down and they don't start. And, and he recommends to people similar to your approach, you know, if you're watching TV on the couch, get up and walk in place for 30 seconds during a commercial. And like, you know, you won't get healthy doing that, but it's a start. And then you build confidence and you, you build it up and build it into a habit. So, um, the idea is like, what, what's one other, one other example, Can kind I of bring it back to um, the financial planning realm of like baby steps to developing a new spending or saving habit.
1: So first is to start the second is it doesn't have to be big because that's overwhelming. So baby steps. And the third is make it automatic if you can so that you don't really have to think about it. Most people have an easier time when it's automatic. So for instance, let's say you're going to get a raise, commit to half of that raise going towards savings and then have it automatically set to go there, whether it's your 401k or your IRA or your savings account and, and work it that way. So that again, we're, we're making it as easy as possible for people to succeed. We don't want you to be overwhelmed. Like if I had said, I'm going to do 300 ups and, and squats on day one,
0: yeah. Oof, I would have
1: done it. But yeah. if I said I'm going to start and add one per day, similar yeah. to adding, okay, I'm going to add $50 a month right now. And then when mm-hmm. I get my raise, I'm going to add another $50 a month to whatever savings plan I want to add to. Um, that's much more palatable. and It's easy to digest. And before you know it, you've got real money going into your savings in your future.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. And oh, if you did try to do those 300 squats, you would hurt so much the next day that, you might not be able to exercise for a week because I've been guilty of that. If you overdo it. So um, one other question, Pam, when it comes to financial mistakes, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, do, do people manage to invent new mistakes or are they kind of old mistakes in, you know, kind of popping up again? I think of like recently you see in the news, I haven't fallen into any of these, um I want to use the word mania of like you know people investing in a stock that you know was uh you know become a phenomenon online and the fundamentals aren't there uh you know should we be investing in an individual stock or if people look at new you know kind of glamorous things like um you know bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies or i mean are, are these kind of just new flavor of old mistakes or what are your thoughts on some of these things that have been in the news?
1: Well, the um, I'll I'll say one thing around all of that. First of all, need a base. If you want to invest, you want to invest long-term and you want a base and a base would be a well-diversified portfolio of some kind, not one stock, not two stocks, but well-diversified portfolio. And it's great. If you work with a financial advisor like us, we make sure that's where you start. You want to build up a base that's pretty secure. You want to have an emergency fund. You got to have an emergency fund. You, If you want to invest in GameStop or if you want to invest in Bitcoin, you better be willing to lose every dime you're putting into it because it's very mm. speculative. And it really yeah. is not a place where you put your rent money, right? your mortgage money in. You just don't do that. Um, I the, I think the case is, is still out for Bitcoin. You know, it's becoming more and more mainstream, I think. I don't know, the prices got inflated with um, Elon Musk saying he put purchased $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin this last week, and it, became, yeah. it was reported in one of his, he had to report it to the SEC, so it became public knowledge. And then, of course, the price went up tremendously, On uh, and it's still up a little bit, as this morning it was still up. But it's something I'm trying to learn more about, because I think it is going to replace some of the transactions with cash. And, you know, I, am not necessarily telling you anybody to invest in it. Don't take this as advice. It's just, right. I'm trying to learn more about it because I think it's going to be around for a long time. Now, doggy coin, the other one that he has, mm-hmm. the one that, that's a joke and there's nothing behind it. And people are still buying it in the, the price is going up. That yeah. one is, is probably going to go away at some point because yeah. there's actually nothing backing it. Whereas Bitcoin has data behind it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's lots of crazy stuff out there. Don't get caught up in fads. Don't get caught up in that yeah. stuff. Start off with something that's got a proven track record that's been around for a while, and that's a well-diversified portfolio, or buy your you know, well-diversified mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, whatever. If you have a little money you want to play with and you want to pay, buy a stock here and there, <laughs> go ahead and, and try it. But even the best of stock pickers usually get one out of four right, right? So that means you yeah. get three out of four wrong. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, that's great advice, Pam. I feel like I, I have no standard legal disclaimer, like some of the financial shows or whatever. So let's to the, to the audience, pretend like you're hearing one of those that you might hear on a CNBC show or yeah. some radio show about finances. None of this is financial advice, blah, blah, blah. Don't sue us. <laughs> yeah.
1: Free, do not, do not take any of this as your advice to you personally. You need to talk to someone who knows your personal situation can do a, uh, a thorough fact finder with you to determine what would be the best kind of investment you should make, if any, at this point in your life, do not take anything I've said as advice.
0: Yeah. All right. Very good. But I think you shared, you know, I think really interesting story, Pam, about, you know, some of your career arc and, you know, kind of emphasizing the idea of learning from mistakes and, um, Um, not repeating them the second go around the second chance that you have with the business here in Tucson. So our our guest today has been Pam Hopman. Again, she's founder of the Hopman Group. You can learn more about uh, Pam and her work and the things that they offer at thehopmangroup.com. So Pam, really enjoyed it. Thank you for sharing your story and some some thoughts on possible financial mistakes with us today.
1: Thank you, Mark, for having me. This was a lot of fun.
0: Okay, well, good. Thanks. Again, I want to thank our guest, Pam Hopman, from the Hopman Group. To find show notes and links and more, you can go to markraben.com slash mistake46. Coming up soon in the podcast in future episodes, venture capitalist Mike Smirklow, business coach Lori Baker-Sheena, cybersecurity expert Neil Deswane, and Phyllis Quinlan, a nurse executive, talking about medical mistakes. And don't forget, you can enter to win books from previous guests. You can go to markravencom slash contests to learn more. Thanks for subscribing. Please rate and review us too if you have a chance. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes and how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive as our guests have. I've had listeners tell me that they've started being more open and honest about their mistakes in the workplace, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe for people to speak up about problems, because that leads to improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, podcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.
1: See you next time.